0: All right, welcome to another episode of Catholic Mindset, where we create Catholic content for Catholics. Today, we have Father Roger Landry, a priest from the Diocese of Fall River in Massachusetts. He writes for the National Catholic Register and has been appointed by the U.S. bishops, a National Eucharistic preacher. Today, we're talking about the Eucharistic revival, which is an interesting topic that I, when I came across your article, uh, Father, I was intrigued intrigued about the piece that you wrote.
1: Good to be with you, Alejandro, and good to be with your listeners. Um, the Eucharist Revival this is this exciting new three-year project of the U.S. bishops to try to help all Catholics in the U.S. come back to know, love, um, adore, and bring others to know, love, and adore Jesus in the Holy Eucharist. They, they think that we've taken Jesus in the extraordinary gift of God on the altars for us every day, a little bit for granted. There are all types of data that show that three out of four Catholics don't come to mass on Sundays. Um, Seven out of 10 Catholics say they don't believe that in the Eucharist, the bread and wine have totally become Jesus' body, blood, soul, and divinity rather than remaining just a specialized bread and wine. And even among Sunday mass goers, half of Sunday mass goers Don't believe in the doctrine of what we call transubstantiation, that the bread and wine totally become the second person of the Blessed Trinity. And so, for all of those reasons, the US bishops said, We've got a big problem on our hands. And one of the most important things the church does is unite ourselves with Jesus on the altar in praise to God the Father. And so, if we're not getting that right, everything else is in crisis in the church. And so, they've asked about 50 of us preachers. Um, to dedicate ourselves for three years to try to preach about the truth with regard to Jesus in the Holy Eucharist, and then to get parishes involved, dioceses involved, and then pretty much the entire church in the U.S. involved with this huge Eucharistic Congress in Indianapolis, Indiana, July 17th to 21st, 2024. And so we've got a lot that's going to be happening between now and then, and everything launches on the Feast of Corpus Christi this year, June 19th.
0: And as a Eucharistic preacher, how do you see this role um, playing out for you? What what do you have planned to do that? So
1: every priest really is a Eucharistic preacher. We should Hmm. be finishing almost every homily we ever preach by connecting the word of God we've just heard to the word made flesh who's just about to happen on our altars. But a Eucharistic preacher, we've been asked to dedicate a lot of our free time and some of our work time to responding to invitations that dioceses and parishes and Catholic universities and schools have to come and talk about different aspects of the Eucharistic dimension of Catholic life. And so I've already done a few clergy days. So days where priests come together for prayer and study in different dioceses. I have a lot of diocesan events coming on up for that. Some events for women religious, other events for college kids, Various parishes have reached out to me and asked me to come on in and do uh, 40 hours devotion for them, which is an ancient practice where we adore Jesus for 40 straight hours. And there's some talks and a lot of adoration between Corpus Christi processions, you name it. We're being asked to dedicate ourselves with with greater attention, kind of as symbols of what the U.S. bishops are doing. Um, echoes of what the church proclaims with regard to jesus and the holy eucharist so that we can all with a certain unison in the church in the u.s put jesus on the altars where he rightfully deserves to be in every catholic heart
0: That's a big conversations on how, how we can get catholics to fall in love again with the eucharist or what are some of the things that we should look at or people look at to do that So the the first
1: thing we need to do is acknowledge that it's really God on the altar. Everything else flows from that. Just a personal story, Alejandro. When I was an 18-year-old college freshman, living on my own for the first time away from home, I had always been a Catholic. I had been an altar boy. I had worked in a parish rectory. We prayed the rosary as a family when we were at home, but I had never really owned my faith. And asked myself the deeper questions and so i remember the day it was september 23rd 1988 and i said is there anything more important i could be doing on a monday tuesday wednesday thursday friday or saturday than receiving jesus inside and i concluded no there's nothing more important than receiving god within and from the following day, September 24th, 1988, until today, I've never once missed receiving Jesus and Holy Communion. That's one of the reasons why I'm passionate about trying to bring others to live truly Eucharistic lives, because I don't know where I'd be without those graces every day received by Jesus in, in, in the act of loving Holy Communion. And so... The first thing we need to do is we need to put Jesus in his proper place and just say, I do believe it's you. The second, we need to act on that love. You know, any child will tell you love is spelled T-I-M-E. If a parent says, I love the child, the child expects that the dad or the mom's going to spend time, likewise with friends, rods, articles, grandparents. If Two people were in love, hoping to get married, but they never spent any time together. One or the other would question whether there's genuine love there because love is spelled T I M E. And for us as Catholics, if we really love God and not just acknowledge Him to be there, we're going to want to spend time with Him. And so that means Eucharistic adoration, that we come and pray in the presence of Jesus in the Holy Eucharist. Just last week, I was in the Holy Land and I spent Over an hour praying in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus asked those words, can you spend one hour with me to Peter, James, and John there um, on the night Jesus was betrayed. And for us to get to make one at least two holy hour a week with Jesus is a tangible sign of love. And if we're there listening to Jesus, talking to Jesus, getting down on our knees in silence before Jesus, it will dramatically impact the way we receive Holy Communion. There are many Catholics who receive Holy Communion kind of just as a ritual act Hmm. rather than as the supreme moment in Catholic or human life that we, a a simple creature, receive God inside. And so when we're regularly spending time adoring Jesus um, in Eucharistic adoration, then we so much more easily adore him at Mass, adore him as we're receiving him, adore him within us after we've received him. And then we become walking monstrances, walking Corpus Christi processions, capable of taking God within us to others. Just like Mary did after she conceived Jesus at the Annunciation, she went with haste to bring Jesus within her to make her cousin Elizabeth rejoice and John the Baptist rejoice in her womb. How much of an opportunity we have, having been filled with Jesus in the Holy Eucharist, to bring him who came into the world so that his joy might be in us and our joy might be perfected out. To bring to completion the joy of others.
0: I love what you said, the supreme moment of receiving the Lord, right? The difference is between of how back in the day people would die for the Eucharist, right? We have we have individuals who are saints in our faith who have died protecting the Eucharist with their lives. And now some of us are taking it, you know, almost for granted. Which it's
1: true. Yeah, the, the reference in there was to a great scene in the early church, the year 304. In modern-day Tunisia, a town called Abitin, the crazy Roman emperor at the time, whose name was Diocletian, passed a law saying that if any Christians were caught, they should be summarily executed. And so the local governor there in Abitin went to the Christians and said, listen, I respect you guys. You've always been good citizens. Um, If you guys come to worship, as you always do at dawn on Sunday, I'll have no... um, other alternative than to arrest you and send you to Carthage to be killed. So they thanked him for his concern for them. And on Sunday morning at dawn, all 49 Christians in Abbotine Tunisia were there celebrating mass. The guy couldn't believe it. He waited until the end of mass just out of respect because this was going to be the last thing they ever had a chance to do. And he went up to them afterward and he said, why are you even here? I tipped you off that I would have to arrest you. I didn't want you to die. But yet you came, every single one of you, and you're now all going to die. Why? And the eldest among them, whose name was Emeritus, stood up and he said, sine dominico non possumus, a Latin expression that was a little play on words, which said, without the little Lord on Sunday, we can't make it. In other words, we would rather... Die physically, but live together in communion with Jesus and holy in holy communion, than to die spiritually while saving our physical lives. So off they went to Carthage, but those words, sine dominico non possum, without the Lord and the Holy Eucharist, we can't survive. That's what it means to live a Eucharistic life. Many of us Catholics think that like we can do just fine if we happen to miss Holy Day of Obligation, if we happen to miss one Sunday because we're traveling, or two Sundays, or maybe even a month. As long as our heart's in the right place, okay, fear, we can convince ourselves of that. When we grasp the Eucharist is not a thing, but a person. It's literally God who's come into our world. All our behaviors start to change. And, you know, there are many Catholics who would say, I would rather die physically than to die in my relationship to the Lord, than to live without the Lord. But The Eucharist is the way Jesus has fulfilled his promise to us before he ascended in heaven, that he would be with us always until the end of time. And so Jesus is there. And for us to come and receive him, that is the coolest thing in human life, that we actually have a chance to become like Mary, bearers of God within. Um, A lot of the times we just haven't pondered How awesome a privilege that is. And therefore, we can sometimes take the Lord in Holy Communion for granted. So this Eucharistic revival is like spiritual defibrillator pads trying to sort of jolt our soul back to the way we should really relate to the gift of gifts.
0: love it. I love it. Uh, There has been attempts in the past to do something similar.
1: Well... In the U.S., there has never been a Eucharist or a revival in this okay. way. Back in 2004, 2005, um, the Church Universal, led by John Paul II and finished by Pope Benedict, did the year of the Eucharist. So John Paul II had this Polish um, habit of dedicating special years to working on special things. And so he had, for example, the year of the Holy Spirit, year of the Father, year of the Incarnation, year of the year of the Holy Rosary, had a Marian year, etc. He wanted to have the year of the Holy Eucharist. And so he began that in his last year as Pope. Uh, he died during the year of the Eucharist. He planned for a Synod of Bishops on the Eucharist, and Pope Benedict succeeded him and led that Synod and wrote another beautiful document. But there was a worldwide effort to place Jesus in the Holy Eucharist in his proper uh, spot. This three year uh, initiative of the US bishops is unprecedented. Uh, it's all geared toward that Eucharistic to Congress, which will be the first one in the US in 50 years since 1976 in Philadelphia, where the future Pope John Paul II came, the future St. Teresa of Calcutta came, lots of people from all over the world came. And it was an international Eucharistic Congress. But, um, but in terms of the preparation for it, and in terms of getting into the nitty-gritty in parishes and in schools and in Catholic hospitals and Catholic food pantries and you name it, is everything we're doing flowing from Jesus in the Eucharist and leading us to Jesus in the Eucharist or not? The Second Vatican Council said that Jesus in the Holy Eucharist is the source and the summit of the Christian life. So therefore, if we're living a truly Christian life, Jesus is going to be our starting point, our goal. And this is a time for us to say, am I living that way? Not just do I aspire to live that way, but practically, what steps can I take to make Jesus and the Holy Eucharist a bigger part of my life?
0: I want to go back to some of the stats that you mentioned earlier. You mentioned seven out of 10 Catholics don't believe in that the Eucharist is truly God, right? Yeah. And that was those, I've heard that before, post-pandemic. In the article, you mentioned also that the pandemic also has has not helped that, that mentality.
1: The pandemic had two major impacts on the church. The first was, on the positive side, that people who were shut off from being able to get to Mass because of decisions of bishops or decisions of state governments, etc., they could no longer take Jesus in the Holy Eucharist for granted. And they were calling parishes and they were lobbying bishops to open up masses again. And they were going to outdoor masses where their priest would celebrate it, or if the priest would leave the door slightly cracked for people to accidentally pop in, et cetera. They were trying to make up for lost time because now having had the Lord removed from ease of reception, they started to prioritize him better. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, however, there were many who um, grew lukewarm in their love for the Eucharist because of the lockdowns. They started to watch Mass on live stream, you know, television, and they began to say, Pretty comfortable here. I like the music. That I mirrored from St. Patrick's in New York or the Basilica of the Sacred Heart at Notre Dame in Indiana or whichever mass that they were watching. Some would say, Hey, I like to listen to Father Mike Schmitz preach every week rather than the priest of the deacon in my own parish and his live stream masses. Um, And so they continued to stay home after it was possible to come to church. And like, Can we unite ourselves to what's happening on the altar from home? Of course we can. Can we make fervent spiritual communions? Of course we can. But there's one thing we can't do at home. We can't receive God inside. And like, honestly, until, I used to say when I was a parish priest in Massachusetts, um, until I say mass is going to be at 1.14 a.m., And everybody recognizes that it's worth getting up to come to receive God at 114 a.m. We don't really appreciate who the Lord Jesus is yet. And like I could say in terms that are clear to everybody, even if you have to listen to a priest who's the worst homilist ever, even if you have to listen to shrieking people in a choir that are blowing your ear uh, eardrums as well as your listening devices and everything else, it's worth it. To be able to receive Jesus in Holy Communion. Um, and so, like, that's been a problem coming out of the pandemic that there have been many who, out of fear of being in larger crowds again, or just out of a sense of comfort, have remained at home and they've gradually been drifting away from a truly Eucharistic life. And so, the US bishops in this revival are trying to articulate anew the reasons to get there to Mass how the blessings of God who wishes to bless us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens are all concentrated in that little host. We have the extraordinary privilege privilege to be able to receive. So that's what the Eucharistic Revival is trying to do, to bring all the members of our family home to our house for the Feast of Feasts.
0: When you are with the Eucharist, you know whether you go to the, to the uh, to adoration or you have a moment with, with the Eucharist, how do you, experience that moment?
1: So the first thing I always do when I enter into a church, when I'm genuflecting or when I'm, um, when I'm beginning to start a holy hour, I just first remind myself that Jesus is really here. And I estimate how far he is away from me, just to make it very concrete. So my Lord, my God, I firmly believe that you are here, six feet away from me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your help in all the areas of my life where I need you. And then I call on the help of Our Lady to teach me how to love him in a proper way. St. Joseph used to hold Jesus in his arms and raise him and um, clean him and all the rest of it. But just I call upon the Holy Family to help me to approach the awesome reality of Jesus before me the same way they had to with great wonder in Bethlehem and in Egypt and in Nazareth that even someone who looked just like every other child was somehow the creator of every child ever and the one who hides in the tabernacle for us or the one I'm privileged to hold in my fingertips after the consecration that is the creator of the world the redeemer who lived and died for us on Calvary. The one who's risen from the dead is now seated at the Father's right hand and is praying that one day we will be able to experience the true fruits of Eucharistic life. He told us in John 6 that the one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood will live forever. And so the Eucharist is meant to bring us to heaven by keeping us in communion with God because that's what heaven is, that we live in eternal communion with God. And so Jesus is so excited whenever we come into his presence so that he can bless us with himself.
0: You mentioned children. I, I was thinking about asking you, how would you explain the Eucharist to children to children?
1: I think children get it really quickly. When we just say the you see that little white thing? It's actually Jesus. It's actually God. Jesus is hiding in there. He's totally changed it from the inside so that he could be with us always. And if our actions correspond to what they anticipate should be the actions toward God, they'll get it. It's only sometimes when we, quote, grow up and become more sophisticated, we start asking the how questions, the great mystery of transubstantiation. How is it possible that God himself can totally hijack bread and wine while we still have the appearances of bread and wine. There are lots of explanations. We could talk about it if you wished, but like it's only later that we start to ask those questions when we're young and those around us treat Jesus in the Holy Eucharist, the way he deserves to be treated. Young children pick it up immediately. We're in first communion times, you know, May is the month of first communions in those mm-hmm. places. And, when I was preparing young children for First Holy Communion, it was always easy for everyone who came from a practicing family. You know, there were, there were lots of ways you'd do it. I'd take them up to the tabernacle and say, we're, I'm about to show you God's house. Are you ready? And yeah, we're ready. And, you know, i would open up, the, you're sure you're ready? Yeah, sure, I'm ready. And here's what you're going to see, but we're just going to be really quiet. And then we're going to talk to them and I'd lead them in a little bit of prayer and the spontaneous prayers that would come from these eight-year-olds was incredible. The one situation in which it was much harder was when you had somebody there whose first Holy Communion was probably going to be their last Holy Communion for some time. Because if everything in the direction is flowing, that this is God and God's really there, they want to come to be in God's presence. But if their family by its actions are saying soccer or cartoons, or political programs, or anything else that they're doing on Sunday, is at a practical level more important than coming to receive God. There's a great contradiction that they experience, and so kids have a great capacity to receive the gift of faith and respond with faith. The faith-seeking, understanding questions will come later, but as long as there are no behavioral contradictions by those they look up to to set the example in life, they'll, they'll grasp the Eucharist quite readily.
0: So the Eucharistic Revival begins on June 19th. What can we be doing now?
1: I think the first thing is to prepare a little bit better for Mass so that we're getting more out of Mass. The way we prepare opens us up to receive greater graces. Second would be to give greater thanksgiving after having received Jesus in Holy Communion. To just stay there in church for a little bit and say, as I prepare second graders, minimally to say, thank you, 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 thank you. Plenty of other ways to do it, but to just make sure it doesn't become routine. I'd obviously say if if people aren't regularly going to confession so that they could receive Jesus with great purity inside, that would be a great way to live the sugar's to revival. Mm. It's starting June 19th because June 19th is the Feast of the Body and Blood of the Lord Jesus, what we call Corpus Christi. And so some parishes are going to be having holy hours that day. Some parishes are going to be having Corpus Christi processions that day. I'd encourage if your parish is doing something, participate in it. Sometimes people ask, like, how can how can we thank priests for their sacrifices? What can I get them for their anniversary? What can I get them for their birthday, et cetera? You know, the best thing you can ever do for a priest is just show up. When he's doing something because like he be that. there to feed you. And when you show on up hungry for what God wants to nourish you with through him, it just makes him so much happier as a priest. And then I just encourage everybody to pay attention to the opportunities that are going to be up in their parish and their diocese for the Shuchars to revival especially the opportunities that will be given to bring those who have fallen away from the practice of the faith or those who have lost a sense of the teaching of the church on the Holy Eucharist to come back and learn and live a little bit more profoundly what we as Catholics um, believe. So to pay attention for those would be the ways that encourage everybody to start.
0: Any any other tips to prepare before Mass? You mentioned that preparing before Mass. Oh, of course, obviously confession will be key so that we can receive the Lord. So try our- to get
1: to Mass a couple times, a couple minutes before Mass, just so that you're not Russian, so that you can recollect and make it really prayerful. And if you're looking for a great prayer, just use your phone and put in prayer of Saint Thomas before Mass. St. Thomas Aquinas has a beautiful prayer before and after Mass. That if you pray that prayer, you will say, wow, this is what Mass is really. I'm about to enter into the upper room, Calvary, and leave with Jesus from the empty tomb and receive his risen body and blood within. I mean, that's what is communicated in this great prayer. It would help you to see what eyes can't see in the actual celebration.
0: Amazing. Father Landry, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Can I ask you for a closing prayer?
1: I'd be very happy to. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, words don't exist adequately to thank you for the gift of your Son in the Holy Eucharist, but please help us to spend every year we have at least striving to thank you for that gift. Send your Holy Spirit to help us to know Jesus in the Eucharist better, to love him better, to live with him better, and to proclaim him and the supreme gift, so that others might come to experience his same blessing. We ask this in the name of your son, our Eucharistic Lord, who is Lord forever and ever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy
0: Spirit. Awesome. Thank you very much again, Father Lander, for joining us on the show and sharing this interesting topic about the Eucharistic Revival.
1: Happy Eucharistic Revival, Alejandro, and likewise to all those with us.